I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hi, everybody. It's fun for me sometimes when I record with someone and immediately we're like, let's do another episode. And I felt that way with, after Mari's first episode. I was like, ugh, I could just listen to Mari and learn from Mari all the time. And she said, what about embodiment? It's something I'm thinking about a lot. And so that was an episode that had been knocking around my head for a little bit. So had to have her come back and let's do it. So please enjoy episode 67 with Mari Orkin Embodiment. Not only is it Monday, so I'm starting my week, but I also get to start my week with someone that I happen to adore and who I feel like every time I interact with, I learn something, I get pushed in some way. So returning today for, I was going to say, and already, you know, reveal the topic. And then I realize, oh, I always have to remind myself it's not a dramatic reveal because it is literally in the title of your episode. <laughs> so Mari is back to discuss embodiment. <laughs> I mean, as if people know who Mari is, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they do, though, because of your previous episode. No, that's right. right, I got, I guess, like, I'm trying to be the opposite of mean girls and be nice girls. And I do want to invite everybody, like, into this world of all these incredible women and, uh, you know, and some men that I know that are, are amazing. But I got, it's funny, like before you and I had even really like signed off last time, I was like, do you want to come back? Like I already knew I wanted to record with you again. And I did get a lot of email, uh, DMs and emails about you and about your your episode. And I was like, I think because I'm I'm someone who has no problems like complimenting people or cheerleading that people think sometimes think it's disingenuous or I'm just being like hyperbolic, which is fair. I'm a very hyperbolic (laughs) person, but um, there is no hyperbole in my cheerleading or support for people that if I'm telling you, like, I really like this person, I do, you know, and people were like, oh my gosh, like, you're not kidding. She's great. Or like, I signed up for, you know, her newsletter and I'm like, yeah, it's really good. I really recommend it. And I think of you as being very moderate in the sense of like, I think you do your newsletter monthly and it's you're you're like, that's enough. Mm-hmm. I, I trust that I want to communicate. I want to give my deep thoughts once a month, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, what's that like, you know? <laughs> so when we were wrapping up the first episode, we, we were talking a lot about embodiment and I feel like since we last recorded, I've thought a lot about it. And I know that it's something you've been thinking about, but I'm curious, have you always been someone who has been somewhat embodied or did you have to really like learn about it? Mm-hmm. Like, did you have to, did you have to teach yourself embodiment? Mm-hmm. I think in one way, yes. And, and maybe all of us were, because if you think about children and, and, and you know, kids, like it's so innate to carry that quality of, yeah, 
of being in, in their bodies and have a relationship with time and play and imagination in a specific way, which I kind of tend to think of embodiment with some of those concepts. So I think we all had that, right? And then mm -hmm. as we move along, we kind of forget because constriction, limitations, conditions start to come in. And then I think as I've grew and, and, and evolved and mature and life experience happened, heartbreaks happened and all of those things happened. Yes, it, it just, I started to train and learn what kind of quality of embodiment I wanted to bring back or maybe return to. And I think I would say that it, it, in the training and the process of learning, what I've learned is actually just a language around what I think embodiment is and how I, mm. I live it, you know, from that place. So like kind of bringing more emotional language to that experience. For example, when I asked my daughter who is seven, maybe now she knows more, but before I would ask her, like, what are you feeling? And she's, she would say to me, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, Fair. you know, I'm like, yeah. I, <laughs> she's like, I don't know. It could be anger. It could be sorrow. could be fear. But something was there, right? Like in which she was uh, reacting to and, and having feelings about. And now I think with the work and the practice, I'm able to be to go more in depth and meet what's there and have the language to to name it. So then the experience doesn't feel so much bigger than what it is. And I can mm. give form and shape within my body to be able to carry it or contain it or contorn it, or, you know. So yes, yes, yes and no question, but uh, or answer, sorry, but. I think we all had it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think for various reasons, we can like lose touch with it. But I feel like it's a topic that when you bring it up, people are sort of on one side of the spectrum or the other, that people are either maybe like very embodied, but maybe less intellectual, like maybe they don't need to name it as much. Or if you're like, why did you do that? They're like, I just felt it in my gut or like, it'll be a very physical thing that motivated it, you know, or if you're like, why'd you do that wild thing? They're like, I don't know. Like there's, there's an absence of thought to it, you know? And then on the other hand, I feel like there's so many people and I'm more in this category that are so intellectual, that are so much in their brain, that they're they're so disembodied. And for me, like that was not complete. I mean, it was like I went through like these different stages of, you know, I had to realize that I was living pretty disassociatively. And then I had to learn presence and to just even like inhabit my body in any way and it not like melt me down. I think this is a, a relatively universal experience if you're learning how to be in your body again. When you start coming back, which this sounds nuts, and if it sounds nuts to you, you probably, this isn't how your trauma manifested, so maybe this part's not for you. But if you did experience this, 
when you start feeling stuff again, it can be overwhelming because it's very acute. And it's like, you just have to learn to build up your tolerance and be like, oh no, this is just like kind of everybody firing at once. Like, oh, got it. It was maybe in, it was pre-pandemic for me, but I think just patterns or relationship dynamics and things like that, all of a sudden started to click into place in a different way for me. And I was like, what's changed to my therapist? Where I was like, I don't know how to explain that. And she would be like, oh, you're embodying it. Like you're now, you've now embodied the knowledge or like this sort of thing. And it was crazy to me how much differently it felt. And I was curious, is the difference between presence and embodiment that the body is involved? Because it seems very similar to me as someone on the outside sometimes of these concepts. I think maybe it's actually even helpful for us to define embodiment, right? To start yeah. from there, which for me, I see as a, like this ongoing process of paying attention to what's familiar, what's living within us, and then acting from there. And that requires presence, that requires attention. And to your point that you were saying a little earlier, I think when we think about embodiment, we also have to think about safety because the idea of coming back to the body for a lot of people, it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel comfortable because the body in itself wasn't a safe place to live. And so that's why I had to exit, right? Disassociate. Yeah. And to coming back, it, it might mean so much, you know, um, in the sense of I have to, to do so much of like sort of foundational work of being able to tolerate difficult emotions, of coming back to memories in a way that I feel I can hold. There's so much softening in that return. So I think for folks that... I still feel that challenge. I think it's okay to say that it's it's just like an ongoing process, right? Like it's a touch and go and, and it's okay to be this way. So, and then in regards to more like when you look at the teaching or the, or the body of work, um, I like to think that mindfulness is the what, compassion is the how, and embodiment is the where. So mindfulness and compassion being this foundation, the preliminary in which we're like getting clarity and awareness and attention with a heart attitude, with, with the kindness around it and embodiment is where it happens, right? And, and so we create this, I like to think of the body as this field this vast open field of sensations and emotions and presence and embodiment in a way it's just kind of intertwined in that, right? Like, yes, yeah. I think for you to be able to start to, you know, go around in the world embodied, you know, quote, in quotes, um, you want to develop, you want to get closer, you're going to get very intimate with your presence. And when I say this is, and often I start, when I start my meditations, I, one of the thing, first things I offer for people is 
a moment in the beginning and to let them arrive. And I ask them to start to gather the pieces of yourself that have stayed throughout the day, throughout the week. And when I invite that, what I mean is that often parts of us are living in other time, in another time, you know, in another moment, in, in the past, in the future. And a part of us is here in, in this now doing what we need to do. And this sort of, which is completely I normal. Wish could see your hands. Yeah, like you're, you're. She's doing all these great hand gestures. I wish everybody could see, because I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it really. Uh huh. I'm doing what I'm trying to do is like a chain link that just got like, yeah. oh, <laughs> and I always speak with my hands so much. But um, I love it. So basically, yeah, those parts that have stayed throughout the day, the week in the past, in the future. And the part that is here, it, it, it's completely separated, right? And so we're trying to, maybe with a formal meditation practice, it, it's one way that we can try to like regather that, or there are other ways. But what we want to do is, is try to, you know, integrate, bring them close. Because what happens often when we are living always completely separated, this has some repercussion in our cellular level and our muscles and how, you know, contracted we are, how gripped we are, how it has some consequences in our nervous system, how we're breathing, because we kind of like are wobbly in that sense, right? Like we are mm. walking around or meeting life in a way that feels a little bit disembodied, for lack of a better word, because yeah. uh, we kind of like left all these parts elsewhere and in conversations with other people in other places and so yes for me presence and embodiment they 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 come together right like it's a preliminary for you to move in an embodied way and for you to be able to to have that intimate relationship to what's living inside of you which i really think about that when i think about embodiment yeah, because it's so difficult. I think often the struggle as a human being is sort of like the quest for like, where are the answers? And it's like very, very rarely are they outside of ourselves. And yet we spend so much of our time and energy, I think, fighting that until you come around and you're like, what if I embraced it? What if what if I tried that, you know, and started going within instead of outside? I mean, I don't really like to use this word. However, it's normal for pieces of ourselves to end up around town, you know, like, I think that something I don't like about spirituality and, and wellness culture is when perfectionism sort of gets baked in unknowingly. And people, you know, start saying things of like, I'm trying to be embodied all the time, or <laughs> I want to make all my decisions from a place of embodiment. And it's like, cool, do not know how you will ever do that, you know, or like, I mean, maybe like if you're living like a monastic life or something, you can't, I don't know. I don't know what reality that's possible. I don't know that people 
who created these teachings and things would want us to be that way, you know? And I like the way you discuss it of like, and like you said, and I've attended your meditations. I don't know if I'll make it tonight, but we'll see. (laughs) It it made me laugh because I might have plans with someone tonight. And I was like laughing of like the juxtaposition of like go out and gallivant or like attend (laughs) meditation. And I was like, there it is right there. The choices we all face, you know? But I, I think part of what attracts me so much to your work in general and to you, lucky you, is that you're very pragmatic, you know, that you're d- dealing with all these like very big themes and big ideas or teachings or therapies, whatever. And you do go back to the simplicity. You do go back to the like, okay, before we begin, you know, before we go on this other place or before I give you something else, you know, to sort of noodle on, come back here just before we do anything else. Cause it, and that's something I've gotten into the practice of before I have to make big decisions or before I have to, or sometimes it can be for me like in the morning when I'm like, what do, okay, I need to like figure out what my day is. I need to figure out what, you know, like I literally be like, let me call myself back to myself. Let me call my full energy to myself before I do this. And it feels so much better to be in the habit of that, of the, uh, in the habit of the calling back to integrate than it feels to set the goal of be this all the time. Knowing it's always available to me, knowing I can always go, oh, right, let me call myself back to myself, like makes it become a pleasure in a way. I mean, because I guess it is. It's it's a gift. It's a gift to have that awareness to know that we can scatter ourselves all around. And again, these things aren't like negative. It can be like... I happened to have a really amazing Friday last week and it was so good that I'm still thinking about it. And I know part of me's left in it, you know, that's not a bad thing. Like people, I think, think in this binary of like good, bad, but I do know that I, it's something that for me, whenever I get into a real place of where I'm like, how did I get here? Like, I'm real grumpy. I hate everyone. You know, whenever I'm in that space, it's generally too much of me is scattered around town, you know, Mm -hmm. and I haven't called myself back to myself. And the more I just like get into the practice of that to remember, I mean, I wonder, do we do that is part of why it feels so good is like, it reminds us of our wholeness as well, that it's like, oh yeah, there is no worry. There is nothing to worry about. I'm whole in this moment. Like, and let me be ready to go into this next one now, you know, but it, it, I think it, it used to feel scary to come back to myself and now it feels, it feels good. Mm-hmm. And it, and I'm like, oh, this is great. You've mm-hmm. created a home. You've created safety. Like, but man, do we fight it? Do we avoid it? Yeah. Do you think it's to avoid a, like accountability or is it just like we're slutty? We forget, like we just forget that we've left pieces of ourselves all around town and we just, you know, life goes on. You don't notice that you've chipped away at yourself. That's how I think of it a bit. It's diluting myself in a way. And for me to change anything, I have to ask myself what's appealing about it. You know, like if I'm like, oh, this doesn't seem to be working for me or this is leading to me to this space where I don't feel good or I get this buildup or whatever. I have to ask myself, well, what about it serves me? What about it works for me? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's 
it's often, I think it, it creates this little, little loophole or this little rabbit hole I can go down if I want of avoiding, I think, accountability, that it allows blame. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wasn't really paying attention and they did that, you know, like da 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 da. And just like presence and embodiment and all these things are difficult. It's also difficult to own your decisions <laughs> and stay accountable. And so I'm always like, oh, interesting how this all works, you know? And when I became more pri, like when I started prioritizing embodiment in terms of at least just exploring what it meant for me and figuring out when do I feel embodied and stuff like that, I realized like it also, like I'd never thought about it the way you said of like, like thinking about like already what resides within, but like, you're right. And when I started acting more from that place or making my decisions from that place, like less went wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, like the stuff that I felt a lot of tension about like, Ooh, how do I communicate that? Or how do I blah, 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 blah. I was sort of taking myself places I didn't need to be because I wasn't checking in beforehand. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, duh. You don't have to do this cleanup if you just talk to yourself prior, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it's just so easy to stay only with the brain. Oh, oh my God. There's so much in this, right? Um, I also want to point that when we think about embodiment and understand what lives inside of us, it's not only like the, the rainbow and the unicorns. There's also what we have <laughs> embodied that we've learned and was passed to us, what we've witnessed what we watched. So there is learned behavior and patterns, beliefs that we still carry and embody in that way. So in that sense, it can be ambivalent when we are thinking about it, um, Mm. going just for like, you know, embody, say like the best part of us, but we, we also do embody what we have learned and, and experienced in the past. Yeah. And with that, what we are trying to, to, I guess, do is to sort of create an opening, right? Even in the embodiment of be able to listen and be able to tell this is a learned behavior, this is a defense, or this is actually my basic okayness that I I like to call it, right? Like this is just me (laughs) being okay and trusting. And in that sense, when we are able to do that, what we are doing is really honoring our humanity. And that's when I think about all of this too, I think about embodiment in this, in the highest way. I think about honoring our lives, honoring our dignity, our integrity, our lives, right? Like this is it, right? Like this is just how human I can be because even if we think about like in the dictionary terms of embodiment I think you might you might find something as in like you know giving body to something that is that doesn't have a form right like if we call it a spirit or soul whatever I believe it is like giving form or inhabiting something or I I looked it up yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so then in that sense we we are really honoring all that is in there, in that that humanity and in, in the edges of it, going really to the edges of that um, 
vast sort of experience. And when I talk and I think as I teach, I keep coming back to this, which is like our ambivalence, our complete, like how complete we are in that sense. And so when we think about like people that are, like you're saying in the beginning, that is always embodied. I mean, nothing is always nothing, right? Like there's no, <laughs> we are not going to be embodied yeah. all the time. That's obviously, uh, in, there's going to be moments where we're overthink. And for people that overthink, and I am there with you, is because back then we had to, um, if, we, for example, we were raised very critical, we had to overthink to be able to organize ourselves in a way that the criticism that we received wasn't too threatened for us. And so overthinking, it was a way to control what was confusing for us inside, you know, what we were receiving as input. So that's yeah. why, too, for me, it's always important to leave space for the way the imprints are in us. And, you know, and then, yes, we're going to go to, depending on the moment, depending on the circumstances, we're going to either overthink, we're going to disassociate, we're going to come up with defenses that are familiar to us. Uh, we're going to um, create some barriers. Um, we're going to bargain with ourselves, right? Uh, we're going to negotiate with ourselves. And that's because, again, we're human. We have imprints. We live within a culture system. We live within like an structure that it's also helping us to kind of continue in that sort of uh, disconnection. And so, as always, I think the invitation here is in the return, as you're saying, and now I feel so good to return to my body, which is great, right? Like, for so long, that might have not been the case for you. And now you're experiencing that you can return, there is a place for you to return. And that has happened because you put a lot of time and practice, and you've, um, go to therapy and you do your own work and you've creating the conditions to make that happen, right? Like to be able to say, okay, well, I'm far too off here. I need to return. And, and, and that, that just that, that is the listening that we want to be doing, right? Like that we want to be listening to, that we want to be calling, that we want to invite to just be able to say or acknowledge I have gone too far, I need to come back, and I need to readjust, I need to gather again, and then I move on, right? Like we do this a hundred times, over and over, every day, you know, and and that's fine, and that's... Something you said that is super interesting to me that it hadn't occurred to me until literally now when you said it, when I started to connect some dots and figure out some embodiment things like for myself, you're right it, that I started to really become aware of what I had embodied that had been passed to me mm -hmm. and, you know, started to become really aware of that. And it's interesting. There's a card in tarot, the Hierophant, and it's a lot about, Questioning knowledge, which has been imposed upon you, is the sort of the easiest way. And that's, you know, parents 
organized religion, school, it's all of that. And so I was familiar, you know, I'd been in tarot for a while before this whole embodiment thing sort of had kicked off for me. Well, I mean, I'd been embodied since 1980, <laughs> but regardless of that, um, <laughs> until I caught up with it and my, or my brain did. And it was interesting because like I, when I started to think about it and these things started to sort of float to the surface of like, oh, something I think about a lot is the social conditioning of women and the societal conditioning of women. And I'm from the South and I have a mom who's also in the process, I think, of really deconstructing the way that she was conditioned to sort of serve men. You know, she's really doing her patriarchal stuff. It finally happened. It took me 40 plus years, but I radicalized her. It's happening. I'm thrilled. But it'll be funny because she, like, it's like cool to have these conversations because obviously she's the person who raised me. So like... I know I'm like, it'll just be funny because I've thought a lot about this stuff and she'll be like, I don't know why I do this. And I'm like, I do. I'm like, pick me. I know. I'm like, think about it. I was like, think about how you were raised. I want to put it in the context of like the time you were born, you know, like you, you like and in terms of like your needs being met and your survival was predicated upon how useful and valuable you were to men. I'm like, you cannot lose sight of how impactful that would be on you and that the the you know the indoctrination she's like do you really need to call it indoctrination i'm like but it kind of is i was like began the moment you were born you know like when you were born the idea was like uh oh like now we have these two girls there's no heir apparent we better try for another like your value was already being communicated to you from the jump you know and it is crazy. I wonder what it is sometimes for us that I don't know if it kind of comes back to like, you know, bell hooks and all about love talks about like if most of us think about our loving relationships, think about our family, think about our parents and put it against her definition of love, like most of the love won't, we'd have to realize that wasn't really love, mm, you know? And mm. I think embodiment, sometimes we resist it because if we really looked at it and we think about what we've, you know, maybe absorbed and embodied, you know, it's painful. Mm -hmm. It can be a painful process to mm -hmm. go like, oh, this thing that I did think was me or did think, mm -hmm. you know, or that has caused this suffering or whatever, was never mine to begin with. Mm -hmm. It never really did belong to me. But I have also found that it's been this real joyful pathway to liberation of going like, oh, just like I took it in, I can take it out. Mm -hmm. and, and no, it's not as, as simple as that, but it, even just directing the awareness, directing just the like, the questioning to like, oh, I feel this, but does it really belong to me? Is it really mine? Is it a value or an idea that I really want to embody? You know, like, is this how I want to move through the world? You know, and like, what's cool is the more that I sort of question that and look at it and go like, yeah, no, you know, it creates more space. Mm -hmm. It creates more space for me to really figure out, okay, what, what do I want to embody? What is really important to me? What do I really want to like touch within myself and like stay connected to and walk through the world embodying and, and, and really, um, 
you know, showing to the people. But yeah, there is a lot that we we do fold in that we don't like in, I think this is part of why I wanted to, to discuss this with you is there's so many things that I think we all like know or say we, we all know that we're affected by, you know, social conditioning or societal conditioning. Like we all know these things, but I don't think we know necessarily what the um, trickle down is of that effect that it is beyond just gender constructs or I think we just get a little like numb to it. You know, like you hear it so much and you forget to go kind of like, well, what does that mean for me? Or how did that impact me? Or what am I holding on to that separates me from my own truth or, you know, the knowing of myself? My therapist calls it the knowing <laughs> and it sounds makes it sound a lot more, I don't know, fancy than it is, but when I would be like, I just don't understand her this. And she would be like, you have to cultivate and stay connected to the inner knowing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, what is the inner knowing? <laughs> like, is it some like inner, like, is it some order that I get in, you know, initiated into? And she would be like, no, it's the, the knowing of yourself. If like people can want whatever they want from you or the, all of this. But it's the knowing that no matter what, you will be okay and that you have your own back and you can do it. And I was like, oh, and I find the more I let go of what I've embodied that I don't know that is mine, the more firmly I can be connected to the knowing. It feels less tenuous, you know? Yeah. And as I listen to you, what is coming up for me is that this uh, tendency that we have to rush through feelings, especially the ones that we don't quite understand. And those are the most embodied ones, right? Like that is coming from a place in the body that we feel it's there, but feel somewhat overwhelmed or cannot really identify or overanalyze or um, quick pass by it. And so I'm thinking about that in, in the sense that this is why to me it's just this ongoing process. Like you visit, you leave, you come back and you visit. And then also the idea that, and I think from a Western perspective, we don't often think about this way, but we do carry a lot of information in our body that we don't really remember that might have mm -hmm. even been from from our ancestors and from people that came before us and, and past experience and so there is an accumulation of things at least from my perspective that can feel somewhat confusing and the rushing over because sometimes it is really the only thing we can do can sort of continue to create more space and more disconnection right but then as for example i'm giving i'm just coming up with a, like a, an example of what just happened to me um i have been feeling a lot of um feelings around safety around my body lately because i grew up in brazil and growing up in brazil is very unsafe you learn mm -hmm. that you need to watch your step every single way possible imagine like you 
you carry a fake bag in your car. So if somebody comes to rob you, you have a something to give because if you don't have anything to give because you hide it in your real purse, you might be shot. Yeah. So you have to think about these strategies. You obviously don't stop on red lights. You need to drive around the block two, three times before you go into the garage. And there's all kinds of things around safety. And obviously walking in the street, you're always watching, right? Like you're watching behind you on your sides. You're, you're constantly aware of that. And and I think it's has just been recent that I've come across the fact that I never really made space for how much this experience impacted me because it's such a collective yeah. experience, right? Like most two women, obviously, because that kind of violence really is very big and in 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 and in, in, in so tragic in with women and but in general everybody there is always in vigilant mode and so yeah the other day I was on a hike in this amazing pike which is in the foothills of Los Angeles and you know like super quiet the creek the water all of the things the birds and then <laughs> suddenly out of nowhere a man comes out of the bush and I'm alone in the hike, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. um, we don't like that. And we don't like yeah, that. No, don't, like, don't like bush people. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> alone with a bush person. Nope, not a fan. <laughs> exactly. And then, but, and then it was astonishing to me how I went from being in a completely balanced inner space of <laughs> peace to a completely state of being in threat and vigilant and scared like this in a blink of an eye just because my body remembered that I am feeling completely unsafe I'm going to get kidnapped and I I will get murdered this man is going to kill me and obviously he was coming from the bushes may he he might have to you know had to go pee or whatever it is that he was doing but I felt so vulnerable and in one minute I was in this very beautiful nature and contemplative walk and then now I am in this horror movie you know where it's like yeah something's gonna happen and this to me is just kind of like an example of like this memory is never going to leave my body I have that imprint of growing up in a place that is very unsafe because of the social economic you know conditions because of colonization history because of all the scenarios that we know uh, that's imprinted in me and that's never going to really go away right like w- what happens now is that one I feel super privileged that I f- I am in a place that I feel more safe right like I can go on a walk mm-hmm. but I am always going to have to live with this memory that imprint in my body that you know in some way I can feel threatened just in a blink of an eye and so in that moment what can I do about it and how can I repair and how can I meet that challenge of like feeling completely you know distraught and and distrusting and vulnerable and then how can I slowly gather you know that 
all those parts back. So like all those scenes of being vulnerable back home, or of having suffered some violence within my body, feeling unsafe. And just remembering that, you know, th there is so much still in there under the surface. But the more I can make room for the, the vulnerable feeling and then I can repair and return, the more I'm able to talk about it or, you know, feel it, not skip over or rush through it, right? So I had to, after the men left, I had to sit down for a minute. I had to breathe. I had to, you know, kind of like calm my body for a minute. Uh, so I could continue. And that's just like an example that we can do in some other way when things like this happen, when we remember what we are carrying inside and that gets activated and triggered and then how we return, knowing that that piece is never going to go away. I'm never going to forget that, right? Like I'm never going to be fully like, done with it it's in me it's part of me it's part of my life my history and the people that i grew up with and the people from there and this is how we, it was unfortunately but we can create room to feel it to talk to give language and to return and repair um, in a way that feels more possible you know and hopefully next time that i encounter you know a situation like this I can either manage the activation uh, or I can do it again, you know, and then again, and then again. So, yeah, I think there is like a, a, an invitation to when we're thinking about embodiment in that sense, uh, um, when it comes up to imprints and memories and our defenses, we really do not want to rush over. And that's when we tend to do it. We want to pause. We really want to pause. We want to be able to, to at least meet what's there. And then, you know, we can return it gradually and, and do more work with it. But let it, you, let it be felt is very important because often when we are embodying we are allowing ourselves to feel what is there. And that is, that's really where, where it's at, right? Like feeling and then get in sensing into what's there, what's, what wants to be felt, what wants to be expressed. And, and for that to happen, we need to have that pause. Yeah. Do you think the having the pause and also I hear a lot of compassion for yourself. We take safety for granted in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a lot of wild shit happens in a lot of other countries that is just it, it's normal. It's the way of life. I spent time in Guatemala and, and, and when I was a kid and it was similar of like, here's your plant. Like everybody had a bank account in case someone got kidnapped, you know, that you mm -hmm. had money you had access to. I mean, it's. It's just a way of life. And I agree that like that stuff, I mean, it's like they're, people aren't being, they're not fear mongering. They're not, it's just like, no one's coming to save you. So we've, this is how we need to do the best we can. And I like what you touched upon of like, this is a collective thing. So mm -hmm. most people aren't going to be like, 
they're not going to question how much this is affecting them or whatever because it everyone's doing it everybody mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to be like you know like the having the fake bag in the in the car is like really hard on me because like everyone's doing it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but you're right that that would have such an effect on you of just like it's got to be interesting for you to now live in a places and not that the u.s is without violence i mean duh we got <laughs> major problems with guns and things like that it's not like you can just go ah oh, good times are here but do you think that the compassion and the letting yourself feel it is also why you maybe don't live in a place of hypervigilance because I know people, I think kind of the American attitude is like something bad happened to me once. So I'm just going to live in that space all the time Mm -hmm. of preventing the bad thing. You Mm -hmm. know, like if they went on a hike once and someone scared the shit out of them, they would be like, I'm just not going on a hike again, Mm -hmm. you know, or Mm -hmm. hikes are now scary. Mm -hmm. Do you think the stopping and the going, I know why this had such a big response, you Mm -hmm. know, like. I've been conditioned to go on high alert. I've been conditioned to be aware of danger or whatever. Do you think that's how you got yourself to sort of come to a place of like neutrality of like, I know this is within me. Mm-hmm. I know that I can be triggered. I know, you know, cause like when you were at first telling your story, I was like, Oh, so she was triggered, you mm-hmm. know, I was like, mm-hmm. uh, and I was glad you didn't really like use that word to be honest. Cause it's another one that I think is losing meaning, but something I see is like people almost adopting the reaction to something and that becoming their way of life mm-hmm. and then forgetting it's not who they are they're just reacting to something like, I guess my question to you is like, are they avoiding how they feel by like living in it all the time in a way Mm -hmm. that, and if you just took a little, you know, sat down, took some breaths and sort of just like, almost like organized it out, you know, like sort of sifted it out a bit. Like I want to want to offer people sometimes that like, I get what they're doing. I get what their brain is saying. It's saying like, be safe. This is the pathway to safety. Like I get how loud it is, but I'm like, if you would just stop for a second, take a breath and go like, this is present day. What, mm-hmm. what I think is happening is not repeating or what it's like, you'll just feel better. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm curious, like when you sat down and you were like having some breaths, like, did your physical response calm down pretty quickly? Yeah, yes, it did. I still felt the anxiety underneath. I I still yeah. felt unsafe in the sense of um I cannot control the outside kind yeah. of thing. But I was able to take myself out of the, the horror movie scene that I was mm-hmm. for for a minute, you know, okay, this is not a horror movie. This is not, uh, this man is gone. He's not going to murder or kidnap me and I can continue yeah. on this hike. So, th- you know, there was a moment in which I was able, but I still had to, until the, you know, from their point until the end of the hike, I had to still sit with, or maybe walk, I should say, <laughs> With the anxiety, <laughs> you know, and um, my need to control what was happening around. And then, yes, mm-hmm. I have been having thoughts of like, should I go? Should I call somebody to go with me again? 
you know, should I take my dog? Should I not? Should, you know, like all these kinds of thoughts. And then when they come, I am listening it and I'm talking to myself as in here it is your response due to the conditions in which you grew up. And that makes a lot of sense. And I can understand why you feel really unsafe because everything was really unsafe when you were little, when you were growing up, a teenager. So I get it. You know, that was very scary. So I have to have that kind of inner yeah. dialogue. And I think that's the, the sort of this inner conversation, this inner dialogue. It's something that we also have to practice to establish because for folks that stay in the anxiety, what they are really trying to do is control, right? Like when we are really anxious mm -hmm. about something, we're just trying to control. We're trying to make sure that everything is working as it should. So we have to make a distinction between what it really feels to be safe or okay and what is feel what is it to feel anxious, right? Like so there is a, a, a difference here. Like am I trying to attend to my anxiety or am I trying to actually feel okay and safe? Um, because there is a difference, right? And it's okay that yeah. we are trying to attend to our anxiety and attend to the demands of our anxiety. And that's fine. And we just need to, to know that there is a difference. And then if we're able to have actually a communication with that emotion that is coming from the anxiety, the worry, the fear, we can let that be felt and be expressed. Okay, so yes, I am really scared of going on a hike again. So okay, next time I'm going to call a friend and I'm going to do this again with a friend. Or yes, I am really scared of going this hike. I feel like that's going to happen again. So I am going to go on a time that there's more people on the trail. Or, you know, so I'm going to have to like, yeah. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that emotion be there, you know, like kind of like invite it to the table and not try to suppress it and not trying to push it away. I'm going to let it speak because yeah. the more we repress anxiety, the more we repress challenge emotions, the, 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 the resistance is bigger. You know, the, 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 the contraction that I create is, is even bigger. So then the less I can hear, the less I can be in the body because the more work and energy I'm putting on repressed, repressing it or I'm pushing it away. So I wanted yeah. to soften that. And by soften, I mean, listening to what he wants to say and often when we are in these moments those emotions have a lot to say they have a lot to yeah. you know and so we just kind of want to make sure that we have the space to listen to it and then in that process things to begin to get a little bit more able you know to um yeah be felt and spacious does that make sense it, no, it does make sense. And it, it made me think about how in some ways, like, as I've started to better understand embodiment for myself, it's also made me deepen my gratitude. Because I think using your hike as an example, like, in the past, I think, rather than feeling what I felt or repair, like, tending to myself, I would have just been angry, and more angry that the like, happiness I felt and the joy of like, oh, it, what a beautiful place. And this feels so good. I'm so glad I'm out today. 
had been taken from me by them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I would get really hung up there. And now that I've, you know, like it's really helpful for me often to say things aloud to myself mm-hmm. and to go like, I am angry that man scared me and disrupted my hike joy or whatever. <laughs> And it's made it easier for me to go like, yeah, that felt really good. Like, I want to touch that hike joy again. How can I cultivate that? You know, and it's gotten to this way of just sort of like, rather than feeling so overwhelmed by the feelings or the panic of like, oh, no, my good time, you know, that it helps it return, you know, and it helps me be so grateful of those moments of like, when I do feel really safe, or I do feel really joyous, you know, it's made me really plug into like, what are the circumstances that cultivate that? Who are the people I feel that around? What does that feel like in my body? Because like, yeah, give me more of that. It's been a different way, I think, for me of tending to the anxiety, tending to that stuff versus feeling like, oh, no, now I have to deal with this bullshit. It's like life is bullshit. Life is one long bullshit in a lot of ways with these moments of, you know, wonder and incredible things. And I'm like, I think a lot of us waste too much time being like mad that something bad happened versus just going like, what do you need? What did that bring up for you? How did that, you know, because anger feels active. It feels powerful. It feels like you're doing something. So it can be like really sexy in those moments. But it, I, it's not where I think the repair happens. You know, it's not where I think you meet yourself and give yourself what you need. It's like it's the canary in the coal mine going. There's something that needs tending to. But I don't think it's the actual information, you know. Um. Lamarad Owens says that the antidote to anger is to tend to the woundness. And I think that can also be applied to all others' difficult emotions that might come up for us, right? Like, so while we are hoping that we're creating a system in which women can feel safe walking in the street, hopefully, right? Eventually, maybe one day we can get there. We also internally (laughs) are doing the work of attending to the wound, right? And then in this particular case, yes, I felt angry too. And then I have to attend to the wound that I have of like, I don't feel safe uh, walking in the street, right? Like I feel something's going to about to happen to me. And, and so I have to pass the anger, right? Like let the anger be there. And then I have to attend to really where it hurts. Um, yeah. And so you're, you're, you're right, like in that, in that regard, we that's the antidote for 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 us. Yeah. And that's embodiment. That's so interesting. Yeah. Before we wrap up, is there anything you wanted to say or anything we didn't touch on today about embodiment that you wanted to add? Yeah, I'm just thinking about it as as this basic okayness that we can carry, right? Like, and I think on my last newsletter, I've often that reflection from the poet Ada Limon and she talks about that like how we underestimate our okayness in a way and we value some other other types of of states and so I'm thinking about that how we honor our state of base okayness and that doesn't mean that we are always okay it means that within the okayness there's all the other things that are there that are never really going anywhere but they are living together right like we're honoring that that place and i'm thinking about 
in a way interconnectedness, right? Like, which is, I think, how we are feeding into each other, passing on to each other, like in this nonverbal communication that is also very embodied, right? So like what I'm input, I'm, what I'm in, I am putting out, what I am receiving, and then putting back out again, like in a way, um, so much uh, it's in resonance with this practice that is a Tibetan practice that I am, it's probably my favorite, which is called Tonglen, which is, you know, giving and taking, giving and taking, using the breath as a way to really embodied like a difficult emotion, a difficult situation, and then using the breath to recycle it in within the body and then putting it out with an intention of care, of presence. So, yeah, I think those are are the things that I'm thinking about. <laughs> I love it. You're like, oh, no, please, <laughs> you know. I'm just thinking about, you know, interconnected, you know, Tibetan practices, but snowbicks, you know, <laughs> this is your magic. Like these things that are, I feel like really complex, you, you make seem very accessible and light, you know, which is a gift definitely to me, but I think to, to us all who get to interact with you. And if you go to Mari's website, which all of this will be linked, hopefully you're, you're, you've already visited her site from her last episode, but she archives everything. So you can find that newsletter and she's got tons of resources. <laughs> like, as someone who, you know, loves a resource, loves to give people like, oh, look at this or whatever, you know, I'm like a girl after my own heart. You've got a lot <laughs> on your site and playlists. There's there's a lot. So definitely go cruise around in there. if You know, you want to see more of Mari's brain on the Internet, I think. Yeah, I was just going to say that this month I'm, I'm, I got my ass together and I organized my sub stack. So now everything is going to be there. Uh, so it's easier for people to, um, I mean, people are going to still be able to go to my website, but then the Substack has all the newsletters there. So it's easier to read and find all the resources there. So it's coming up this month. Exciting. Everybody and anyone should have a Substack. Yeah. Yeah. It really also appeals to the the old television producer in me that's like, why shouldn't everybody like own their content, you mm -hmm, know, in the mm -hmm. sense of why not see what you want to put out there, you mm -hmm. know, see what you're um, trying to do. Cause I have friends who are like, I keep hearing a lot about Substack. Like, should I start a Substack? And I'm like, yes. I mean, but anyone who has something stirring in them, like I want to say something I want, you know, honor it, put it out mm -hmm. there. Don't it, you know, like, don't worry about capitalism and whether or not it'll be, you know, like, don't want worry about popularity and capitalism, honor self-expression. The call to express is, is one I think you should always, when it says ring, ring, you should say, hello, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I just think it's always worthwhile. So I'm glad you'll be on Substack and OVS from the How to Be Human Substack. I will recommend you so mm. that we can keep this Substack party going, you know. But I thank you for joining me today. I thank you for sharing all your wisdom with me and with uh, everybody today. I... Yeah, I just always love hearing you talk about these things. I could I could listen to it forever. Maybe you should start a podcast. I would definitely <laughs> listen. But thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing today. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, everyone. And that's all for today. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
mean, it's pretty obvious that I find Mari like pretty effortlessly cool and her ability to emotionally regulate is like very, I was going to say sexy to me, but I don't, I, you know, I don't know anyone who could emotionally regulate. Yeah. I got a crush on you. I just find it really admirable, I guess, and remarkable. And I just love listening to her share her inner process of how she moves through life. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to annatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at annatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help.